0: Welcome back, everyone, to episode number two of the Rosk podcast. Today, I want to get into a theme that's going to be ever-present in everything that we do from this point forward. There are a couple of themes that are going to pop up all the time, and we're going to revisit. And I think the benefit of having these recurring themes—I guess that's a little bit redundant— The benefit of having these themes is drilling it into your mind and reminding you when you forget that everything you do in order to build your mindset, in order to build the leadership skills, in order to be able to run the room or run a conversation or run even the feelings that you have coming into and leaving a shift or during, all of it comes back to a certain few things. And one of them is generosity. So not too long ago, I had a patient that came in critically ill at like 620 in the morning at the, near the end of my overnight shift. And I say I once had, I mean, that's kind of the running joke, right? That like the patients wait till 10 minutes before the end of your shift to come in crashing. Obviously they don't really do that, but nonetheless, I had this patient come in super sick to everyone in the room. This patient looked like they were on the verge of coding. They were pale. They were diaphoretic. They were barely able to breathe. All the good stuff, fortunately, we got them to turn around within a span of about fifteen or twenty minutes of just constant care. But what I noticed is that my fatigue and you know the eagerness for the shift to end kind of disappeared from my mind when I went into resuscitation mode, and the funny thing is, what we've always noticed is you sit there waiting for the last twenty minutes of the shift to pass by, and they take forever. But if you get a patient like that, next time you look up the clock, you're an hour past your shift. In any case, I want to keep this case in mind for a minute while we go down a different path. Speaking of themes that are going to pop up in the future of this this project and this endeavor, Seth Godin wrote a book called The Practice. And in that book, he mentions an example of um, putting work forward and asking yourself who that work is for. Who's it for? And he gives an example of grabbing a piece of candy. When you get a piece of candy, there's nothing inherently wrong with it. It's not generous work. It's not selfless work. It's momentarily fulfilling, but it's just for you. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. It just is what it is. But by contrast, he's also mentioned the example of a child drowning. And rather than give you his rendition of how that goes, I'm actually going to give you a real life example in my sister who experienced something like this. So my sister is older than me by about eight years, and she racked out high school, all of the 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 academic studious stuff that you'd expect someone to do, she was sort of the poster child for that. When it came to taking the reins on her own and sort of not following the rule book, I think some of her confidence issues started to surface. And I say this publicly because she and I have discussed it a number of times. So she's hard working but humble to a fault. Anyway, she was at a family gathering at one point and uh she heard Someone calling out for their son, their infant son. She also happens to have a son with that name. So my sister found that a little odd, um, but given that she's a mother, her reticular activating system, her mother's instinct, if you will, hears her son's name and she starts looking. So as she started looking around, she saw that her son was fine, but she then saw a kid flailing in the pool outside. So, now, my sister taught herself how to swim. Uh, When we were growing up, we had a little overground, uh, four-foot-deep pool, and she just taught herself how to swim in that. Now, without thinking twice, she ran to the pool, jumped in, grabbed the kid, pulled him out, and the kid was fine. And everybody was just, obviously, everyone was elated and praising her and all this stuff, and she texted me about it, and she was obviously feeling very good about it. She didn't sit there and assess whether or not she was the qualified one to jump into the pool and save the kid. She didn't compare herself to the Olympian swimmers out there, or she didn't sit there thinking about whether her clothes would get wet. She didn't sit there and thinking about whether her phone was in her pocket. Her confidence issues disappeared at that moment, right? She jumped in and did a job that needed to be done. No, in that moment, you think, you don't really think, but the... Rhetorical question is, who's it for? You put in the work because it's of a service to another. And it's something that needs to get done, so you do it. And this also relates to imposter syndrome, which is a topic we might cover another time. Seth Godin talks a ton about imposter syndrome, but we may address it at another point. But for the purposes of this particular episode, the issue of generosity comes in. And if you make the bridge between generosity and and the examples that I'm giving here, generosity tends to be thought of as something you do in kindness to another. Oh, you shouldn't have, and oh, whatever. But in this case, the generosity is actually almost a responsibility that's being fulfilled. To me, the most prominent quality of generosity is that it's selfless, and that generosity is one of the ultimate acts of delivering without any thought of deserving a return. But that responsibility also comes in. And We hear things like this being spoken about with creative endeavors, with entrepreneurial endeavors, but it doesn't really get set in the healthcare sphere. And it gets mentioned in passing all the time, like, oh, what you do matters and thank you for the work you do and blah, blah, blah. But that doesn't mean much when it's not put in context. And it doesn't mean much when it's not, when it's abstract, when it's not turned into something that can translate into some action that can translate into a result. And that's why we're going through it now. And so... With these examples and with the example of the healthcare team and the healthcare workers, both in the field and in the hospitals, it comes with a badge of honor, but it also comes with that responsibility. So the next time you walk into your shift, you walk in and you reflect on the following insights. Reflect on what it means to be generous and to put the work forward. Now, this isn't an easy task. None of these are easy tasks. but reflect on the ability to be able to carry this out. And that's not as simple as just saying you should be grateful for having the health you have when others don't have it. Yes, that is definitely a necessary thing to reflect on. But going to the third point, whenever you feel like you're being pulled away from that feeling, and you have to be very vigilant of these feelings, because they're distractions, whenever you get the feeling that you're being pulled away from that feeling and that you start to think more about yourself and you start to think about how you know things are not being paid attention to with regards to what you need and your ego is being bruised, now, anything you can think of. Ask yourself again, who is it for? And this is another one of those things that's going to pop up a lot. What is your end goal? On one hand, sometimes people forget their end goal and that causes them to lose sight. But on the other hand, some people need a readjustment of their end goal and need to turn it outward. This allows for the other theme that will pop up a lot, which is empathy. And we're going to touch on that in many, many more episodes to come, but that's where empathy comes from, right? Empathy comes from your ability, not whether you like somebody or not, right? You don't actually need empathy with someone you like. Empathy is required when you're with someone whose situation you need to be able to relate to. And you sometimes are able to do that through a common ground, but you also come To the point of having empathy when you have a clear end goal for yourself and you understand that you and this other person need to reach that end goal together and so you ask yourself how can you reach that end goal with that person especially if that's not the only interaction you'll ever have with them the other thing that's just popping into my mind as i'm talking about this is why this is so important when it comes to interpersonal interactions with patients, with families, with consultants, with colleagues, with administrators and whatnot. And and again, empathy sort of spills into this as well. But I'm realizing now, you know, we always hear like doctors make the worst patients or healthcare workers make the worst patients or you find it hypocritical when you see a surgeon outside smoking or something like that, right? Like what we fail to remember and what people around us fail to remind us of is the fact that the only difference between us and the patient is That we're on shift. Why am I mentioning that right now? I'm mentioning that because the generous work you do isn't because you make the paycheck. I would be willing to bet it's not solely because you make the paycheck. You picked this avenue of earning a paycheck because of other intrinsic values that you have. And what we need to remember is that the only difference between us and the patient or the colleague we're speaking to and the patient or the trainee that we're speaking to and the patient is that we're on shift. So this generosity, this empathy, this responsibility that we have does not end with the patient. It continues on to the other people around us. And so just like when we have a patient in a bed who's frustrated, who's scared, who's angry, who's feeling ignored or whatever it is, we have the empathy and the self-control to be able to navigate that environment. But the only difference between us and the people we work with are that we are on shift. And how do I know that we're capable of this? Well, it goes back to the first case that I discussed, because the last time a crashing patient rolled in, as exhausted as we were, and as much as we complained afterward about whether we have it in us to keep going, we put in the work because we're generous. Now, here's the kicker. All of this stuff is all mushy-gushy and you know, crunchy granola and all that stuff, And people hear this stuff and it's gotten to a point where it's like nauseating, right? Because we hear it. It's such a trope. All of this stuff is so redundant. But what makes it less redundant, what makes it less nauseating is when it's applied into an actionable set of items. Hence the insights. None of this stuff actually benefits you unless you start doing it. Gary Vaynerchuk talks a lot about if you want to do push-ups, You can't read about them, right? You want to get good at push-ups, you can't read about them. When's the last time you thought about an exercise routine or done a bunch of research on a diet or whatever? How well did it work when you didn't apply it? It didn't work. You have to do it. And I think that's what makes it exhausting to even hear this stuff and makes us feel a little bit hopeless and um, jaded when we hear this stuff because actions speak louder than words. Another thing we're going to touch on a lot later. So with all that said, the last point would be that Because it's made people jaded and because misery loves company and because peer pressure is real, not just in high school, the world around you will not necessarily jive with all this. You may feel like the outlier when you apply this. You yourself might make yourself feel like the outlier. You might forget this stuff. You might actually walk into work or into a situation and want this stuff to happen but not do this stuff. And that's a big difference. Wanting something to happen and wanting to make something happen are two very different things. And I think that might be one of the reasons why we get up so quickly is because we go in, but we expect the world to change around us. What we do dictates who we are far more often than who we are dictating what we do, if that makes any sense. So with all the people around you who are going to be like, this is ridiculous and this is stupid or make fun of you for it or try to drag you down or even be jealous of you for it, that's fine. You're here to be the leader. But anyway, I think that's it for me this week. Thanks for listening to me. Thanks for hanging out with me. I hope you got some benefit out of this. If you did, find someone to share this with. You might walk into work and try this and just like I said, feel like the only person and feel like the outlier. But if enough people jump on the bandwagon, you'll know at least from a distance that you aren't the only one. And that's how changes are made. That's how waves are made. That's how... That's how we change the game of leadership. That's how we change the game of teamwork and how we change the game of empathy and mindset and wellness and burnout and all that good stuff. All the things you see posted on the bulletin board at work that make you roll your eyes because the people posting it simply do not empathize. Now is the time to change that. Let me know what your thoughts are, how this benefited you. Give me an example of a situation where this applied and you applied it or think you will apply it to share it with the community, get onto the blogs, share your story, share your conversation, lead the discussion. I will see you next time.